Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Hey everybody, welcome back to the Red, Orange, and Blue Podcast I'm your host as always, the Mexanadian And I do apologize for this episode coming out as late as it has Uh, Today, well, today's technically Monday Sunday, which this episode should be released uh, probably in the a.m. on Monday. Uh, the video of it will probably be out Monday afternoon. But I do apologize for it being so late. I did end up getting incredibly busy today, and I am just one man, so I can only do so much. But nonetheless, the episode will happen. I am, I guarantee you that. And we have a bit of a decent episode for you guys today. We're going to talk about uh, Detroit, the Detroit Red Wing, their last week in games, starting from the Chicago game and ending in the Florida Panthers game that ended that was on Saturday. Then we're going to get into uh, some other Detroit Red Wings and uh, NHL topics. That being the playoff playoff picture as it currently stands, where the Red Wings stand in that uh, in the playoff picture. We also are going to go over if the Red Wings should look for another goaltender for the playoffs, potentially, uh, and if the Western Conference is going to be holding to another Stanley Cup champion for the third year in a row, as well as three of the top teams in the league not looking like three of the top teams in the league. Uh, we're also going to get into our prospect report, which is going to be Red Savage from MSU. And then we got a little bit of Lions news for you guys, of course. We've got Amon Ra uh, St. Brown in the news. And then the uh, fan surveys that came out uh, recently, we're going to go over that, as well as uh, uh, an award that Detroit won from the uh, NFL scouts in general. So we're going to start here first with the Chicago game that took place on Sunday, uh, last Sunday. Obviously, I uh, I did the episode before the game, so I had I had some stuff going on Sunday, but the Chicago game was absolutely electric. Uh, Detroit ended up winning that three to two in overtime, and realistically, it shouldn't have had to go to overtime because it is Chicago, and Detroit just came off of a game where they murdered St. Louis. Uh, what was it, six to one? At least I'm pretty sure that was after the St. Louis game. So, in all serious, it probably shouldn't have gone there. But Detroit has it's one thing that's kind of plagued them this season in that they play down to their opponents. They play up to their opponents. Pretty much every top-tier opponent that they've played this season, they have played up to, if not better, than that team, um, except for one of the games that we'll get into this week. But they definitely played down to Chicago, and it really showed. Uh, but Chicago had a lot... Detroit had a lot of things going against them. Uh, obviously, this game was also Chris Chelios' jersey retirement, a bit of a class act, uh, I guess, Small praise for Chicago, I guess, but a bit of a class act doing it on the same day they play Detroit because obviously Chris Chelios played for Chicago for nine years, nine seasons, I believe, and then he moved to Detroit for 10. So I, I've seen this question asked. I do not believe Chris Chelios' jersey is going to get retired in Detroit. Um, he's had a, his story is a lot bigger in Chicago than it is Detroit. And yes, he won, what is it, three cups with Detroit, four cups, but at the end of the day, he's, there's too much, as far as Red Wings that are, whose jerseys deserve to be retired, he is incredibly far down on that list. You know, Fedorovs would get, should get retired before him, Zetterberg, Datsuk, um, you know, there's, 
there's a few Konstantinov you can make an argument for. Shanahan you can probably make an argument for before Chris Chelios. So it's um, he's pretty far down on that list, but it was cool to see it. He had some great stories to t- that he told. It was an hour-long ceremony that I wasn't able to watch live because I watched the Bally Sports feed and Bally Sports didn't show any of that. So, you know, but it, all, it wasn't just Chris Chelios' jersey retirement. It was Kane's first time playing against Chicago. Because uh, I, do I don't believe they played against, he played against Chicago when he got traded to the Rangers last season. So, going into this game, it was his first time playing against the team that he spent his most of his career with. And not only that, as one of, if not Chicago's biggest rival, historical rival. And it is a, it was an interesting dynamic because a lot of team, it was like the fans were cheering, cheering for Kane and booing Detroit, which, you know, it makes sense. And that's the way it should be rivalries and stuff like that. But it was really weird to see. That, like, they would cheer when Kane had the puck and stuff like that. But then, right after, they would go back to chanting Red Wings suck. So, it was kind of funny to see that. They had an incredible video package that they showed on the the Bally Sports stream. Uh, They played it during the first TV timeout they were supposed to go to. But instead of going to the TV timeout, they ended up showing the entire video package. And it was fantastic. Kane did uh, three laps. And he did two on, on himself. But I believe it was uh, DeBrinket and Larkin, who I think were actually tearing up during it. Uh, they convinced him to do a, do another lap. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, and when I said, like I said, the team played down to them, but they still came out with the W. Um, it, the first period, op- Detroit opened up the scoring very close to the end of the period. It was Sprong who was who made a falling goal. Uh, he scored his 16th of the season from Fisher and Fabry. It was beautiful. He he did score with a sniping shot as he was falling. Um, then in the second period, Chicago took over. It was uh, Mackenzie Entwistle with his third and Nick Felino with his 14th. Reimer was in net. It was the first goal. I can't blame on him too much. Uh, that was just that that was just a goal that was probably going to go in regardless of who was in net. But the second one, you can blame on him more because I don't know what Reimer's deal is. Like, I don't know if he's allergic to the crease or anything or something like that. But he has a habit of whenever the puck is shot, like in any like to the right or the left of him, he has a habit of sliding out of the crease. Like, I don't, I don't know what the whole reason with that is, and that's the same thing he did here. Um, but I can't put all the blame on him because the defense didn't do a good job of clearing out the front of the net and finding the puck. So it was, it was all in all a, uh, it was a bad look for everybody on the ice who wasn't in a Blackhawks jersey. Uh, but going into the third period, Detroit was down two to one, and it almost looked like Detroit was going to fuck around and lose this game. But as it was written by the gods. Alex DeBrinket scores a wonky ass goal, but we'll take it. That's that. I say it's a wonky goal, but that's not a goal that somebody who's not a pure goal scorer makes. Like the goal he made, it was from like a foot below the goal line, at least, and he saw a an opening behind Morazic's leg, and he he seen it and he took that shot and it went in. And if you're a goal, if you're not a goal scorer, you're not going to see that and think, "Oh, I can make it." But if you're a goal scorer like Alex, to Alex DeBrinket's caliber, you're going to look at that and be like, 
that's my target, and he made it fucking work. Um, so, like I said, as it was written, that was assisted by Kane and Ghost Despair. And so we go into overtime. Overtime was, it was fun. Um, it was definitely better than most overtimes I've seen in this season, especially as far as Detroit goes. But Detroit's had a really big plethora of good overtimes, like the Ottawa one notwithstanding. But they've been very good at being really aggressive in overtimes uh, this season. And I'm enjoying it because three-on-three overtime is usually fucking horrible. But Detroit knows how to make it fun, it seems. And that's because they got a a lot of really aggressive guys, like Schrott's out on overtime now. Uh, Wallman has no issue coming up on the rush when it's 3v3. Uh, then you've obviously got, like, Larkin, Kane, Sprong, Perron. You know, you got a lot of aggressive guys that you throw out there in OT. Raymond, I can't believe I forgot Raymond. So it, it's it's fun to see. Uh, but in overtime, like I said, as if it was written from the gods, uh, I think it was Seth Jones. He went in, took a shot on Reimer. Bad shot. Seth Jones has to have the worst contract in the league. If not, it's got to be up there. I've said Huberto has the worst contract, but at least Huberto is putting up like half a point per game. That's not enough for a $10.5 million player, but at least he's putting up points. Uh, Seth Jones, not at all. Um, But Seth Jones goes, Reimer stops him, and I'll say this, Reimer looked decent in this game. The second goal notwithstanding, he looked pretty good in this game. He's looked pretty good in the last few games. Um, Definitely looking like his old self. But I don't know if he's a guy that you want to take into the playoffs. But we'll get into that later. Uh, so, and like I said, as if it was written in the storybook, Seth Jones misses the shot. It deflects out. Dabrinkit sees it. He goes for it, and as if he knew what was going to happen, flings it center ice. And who's there but Patrick Kane? And Kane, Kane goes on the breakaway. He looks. To his right, left. See if there's a pass to be made. There's nobody around him. He goes, does his Patrick Kane stick handling, and beats Morazic clean, top shelf. And as if, it, like I said, as the hockey gods wrote it, Patrick Kane gets the overtime winner against Chicago in a Red Wings jersey. And it was funny. Wallman went to go celebrate with him, and Patrick Kane like kind of pushed him away, like, "No, this is this is my time now." And he, you know put his hands up and uh, yelled showtime and everyone, everything. And, you know, most ciders got to be Patrick Kane's biggest fan at this point because every time there is something that Patrick Kane does and it's like an overtime winner or something like that, cider just kind of leaps on to him. Like, uh, like, like I'm, I posted, I put this a little while ago in the video that was posted on uh, Twitter for it. Shout out to uh, Emma or at Catboy Cider on Twitter. But she put out a video of, of the clip of Cider jumping onto the pile after Kane scored the OT winner. And I was like, I, I'm almost 100% certain at this point that Cider is just a fan that somehow got into the NHL draft. And as he's playing, he's learning to play better, but he can't hold back his fan tendencies. So whenever he sees somebody of Patrick Kane's caliber and he's playing on their team and they do something cool, he cannot help but be super excited to be near that person. Um, So, yeah, it was just a fantastic feeling after that game. And the vibes could not have been better. Or so we thought. So we next game after that was Washington. 
where Washington came to Detroit, and it was a game. Uh, Washington did not come in prepared to play this Detroit Red Wings team at all. Somebody didn't do their due diligence because they came in thinking it was going to be not an easy game by any stretch of the, the imagination, obviously. You're going up against a team who's pretty firmly into the first wild card spot. So you're not going to go into a game at that in that team's barn and think, oh, this is going to be easy. But they definitely thought that if that they would be able to come in and not play at the top of their game. And Detroit made them pay for it in a lot of ways because Detroit came to pay. Pay, play. Uh, the final score was 8-3 to three, Detroit. And it was just a dominant performance all around. Shots on goal were 31-21 uh, Detroit. Faceoff percentage was 64.6%. Uh, Detroit 35.4% for Washington. I have the hiccups now. Power play 50% for Detroit. 33.3% for Washington. Penalty minutes 6-4 to four, Detroit. Or Washington, my bad. Um, it was 33.3% power play for Detroit and 50% for Washington. Detroit had three power plays. Washington had one, uh, two. Uh, Detroit out took uh, had more takeaways. It was even in giveaways. Detroit had more blocked shots. It was it was a good performance, all around performance by Detroit. Uh, so the first period starts, and six minutes into the first period, Ghost Spare gets his eighth of the season and his first of the night, uh, and then. Mo, uh, midway through the game, a little bit more than three quarters of the way through the game, Raymond gets his 16th from Comfort Rasmussen. Ghost of Spares was from Valeno and Braun. So going into the first period, Detroit has a 2 nothing lead. But the second period comes in, two minutes and nine seconds in, Hendricks uh, LaPierre gets his fifth of the season from Ovechkin and Mantha. That was such a beautiful pass by Ovechkin. Like, wow, he is still Ovechkin in almost every stretch of the imagination. But that was a beautiful pass by Ovechkin. Uh, but it was short-lived because two minutes after that, Joe Valeno gets his 11th of the season from David Perron. That was just a beautiful shot. Uh, then Ghost gets his 9th of the season, 2nd of the night from Raymond, uh, like five minutes after that. Uh, Michael Scarbosa, he gets his 2nd of the season from Carlson, makes it a more even game than it was before. And at this point, a lot of people are saying, uh, because uh, Washington goes on the power play, a lot of people are sitting here thinking, Washington might fuck around if they score on this power play. This is a game. But it was short-lived because JT Comfer and Andrew Kopp go for a two-on-one shorthanded breakaway. And, yeah, Kopp made the pass to Comfer in the slot. Comfer made no mistake and just beat Washington's goaltender, who was that, uh, Lindgren. Uh, beat him clean. And so that was Converse 15th of the season from Cop and Cider. So going into the third period, it was 5-3 to three, uh, in favor of Detroit. And Detroit didn't take the gas off there. No, it was 5-2, to two, my bad. Detroit didn't take the gas off there, no. Detroit gets power play uh, in the third period. Four minutes and 31 seconds into the period. Fabry scores from Kane and Sprong. Uh, Fabry just picked up the dirty goal like he normally does. Uh, then Washington gets a power play. Max Petretti scores his third of the season unassisted. It was just an unfortunate turn. Like, it was... Yeah, it it, it was not an unfortunate turn, but it was, it, it was nice. It was a nice shot. Uh, but, yeah, it definitely, definitely wasn't something Lyon was happy to let in. 
but you know you're up six to three you're up six to two at the time you can let that roll off your back uh especially because three minutes later alex debrinkit would score his 23rd of the season from larkin and kane and that was just a beautiful bang bang tic-tac-toe pass that was so beautiful um and then larkin a few minutes after that gets his 26th of the season from raymond and mata and yeah it was just an overall domination game from detroit and this was where the vibes i think in detroit kind of peaked uh you could argue the chicago game was but as far as the red wings fandom and detroit red wings fandom and whatnot goes um if you watch twitter detroit red wings vibes like fan vibes per 60 were fucking immaculate they were skyrocketing they were on a six game win streak and then the islanders game happened um yeah it was pretty easy to tell that the red wings this team was pretty i don't want to say gassed but they were pretty tired uh after coming off of the with this six game win streak because they've been more often than not dominant pretty dominant and all-around good playing wins um so they go into the game with a pretty slow start, and that's ultimately, I believe, what costs them the game uh, for the most part. There's some other things we'll get into. So first period, Islanders get up to get go up two nothing. Uh, Nelson gets his 26 of the season and assisted. That was just unfortunate. Uh, Lyon wasn't expecting it. Nobody was because it was right after a uh, Islanders power play. Ended. Schrott comes out of the box, gets the puck, but then Nelson just did a great job of fucking thieve, of thieving the fucking thing. And yeah, Lyon wasn't expecting it. It just it just beat him. Uh, then Casey Sezikis gets his seventh of the season from Pelican Dobson. So Islanders are up two nothing going to the second, and then the second period potential hero Oli Mata gets his third of the season from Perron and Valeno, and that's not the only time we'll hear Oli Mata. Uh, but going into the third period, Patrick Kane gets his 13th of the season from Larkin and Petrie. And that was just, Kane made no mistake on that either. He, uh, yeah, he got that, he got that from Larkin and he went in just beautiful slap shot. Uh, I think it was just like a slap shot one timer, essentially almost at least. So he ties it up, but then five minutes into the five more minutes into it, that was 10 seconds into the second period, by the way. So it was tied up. Uh, then Brock Nelson gets his 27th of the season off of a power play five minutes into the period from Barzal and uh, Palmieri. Islanders are back up three to two, but then offensive dynamo, Oli Mata, the number two, he is on Detroit's current, uh, defensive depth chart. Technically speaking, he is their number five, six defenseman. And he is a guy that people were, were you know, talking about being in the rotation for defensemen since we had too many. And so him coming in and having a performance like this was pretty nice to see. Uh, but it was short-lived because Matthew Barzal would get his 18th of the season, making it 4-3 to the Islanders. And then Detroit would pull the goal, would pull Lyon, and Pierre Engvall would make no mistake at the empty net. With 30 seconds left in the game, Islanders won this 5-3. to three. And, yeah, I, 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 like I said at the beginning, probably the biggest part of this was that Detroit just decided not to show up and play. But there is something that I got to I got to talk about because it was pretty obvious in that 
like I know I know that once we get into this point of the season, referees are going to start calling these games like playoff games. But this game and the game we're about to talk about was just an egregious horribly mismanaged game like in for two different reasons like this one against the islanders the the refs just didn't they just didn't call anything for detroit like yeah you'll look at the power plays and be like okay the islanders had three and they scored on one detroit had two and they didn't score on any but detroit should have had so many more power plays there were like, there were, like, I think, like, five penalties committed on the Red Wings in a matter of, twenty of like, 30 to 40 seconds, and none of them were called, and they were incredibly obvious. There were trips, interferences, like, there were so many obvious penalties that occurred in such a short span of time that Detroit could have easily had four or five power plays in this game. Um, like, that's not playoff hockey, like... Playoff hockey, yes, you're not going to get a lot of calls. You're not going to get uh, a lot of power play time. But playoff hockey also still has penalties, especially when they're incredibly egregious, like they were in this game. So, yeah, it's just, it it was so bad to watch. Like, I was upset watching it. Um, And it's... It's a factor of why Detroit lost. It's not the factor like a lot of people would have you think. It was not the factor Detroit lost, but it was a determining factor uh, nonetheless. But another factor was Ilya Sorokin is still Ilya Sorokin, you guys. Like, he shut down a lot of high-danger chances from Detroit. So, he is still Ilya Sorokin. No matter how much of a down year he's having, he is still a former Vesna winner, and he is still a guy who at any point in his career could challenge for the Vesna again. Um, so yeah, that was the Islanders game. And then we get into the Panthers game. And this one was interesting. Uh, not just because they lost 4 nothing, and we'll get into that, but also because I was there. Um, yeah, me and my dad, we we went there for Wingwheel Podcast night. He had no idea who the Wingwheel Podcast was, uh, but I did. And, you know, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to get cheaper tickets and also watch a live episode of my favorite hockey podcast. So, or one of my favorites at least. So yeah, I got, uh, I got us tickets from the Wingwood podcast up in the gondola. And I will say the gondola is an incredibly unique, uh, advantage, like vantage point. You know, you can, uh, if you look on my Twitter at the underscore max and and I posted a picture of where we were and it's a unique vantage point to watch the game from, but it was really quiet. Like you could, like all the speakers, they pointed down, so it was just shooting at shooting all of the noise, all the announcements down and whatnot. So it was hard to hear the refs. Um, and the game itself was just really quiet up there. You didn't hear a, a lot of the things that happened on a lot of the plays. So. Yeah, this game was probably not the best game for me to go to for my first Red Wings game this season. But it was nonetheless fun to go to a Red Wings game this season. I hadn't been able to for a while, for a hot minute for most of the season due to my work schedule. Um, but this game was indicative of two things. One, Detroit played like they did against the Islanders. The difference is uh, the Panthers made them pay for it significantly more. Uh, at least with the Islanders, they had fight. 
they were able to get some fight back and uh, try and come close to getting a point out of it. With the Panthers, there was just no chance. They played like they did against the Islanders, and you can't do that against the best team in the league in the Florida Panthers. Um, and, yeah, they the Florida Panthers proved why they're currently the best team in the league. And it was... It was a game. There was one thing. There was one ch- uh, chance Detroit had to score, but it was called off for goalie interference. Even though I personally think Bobrovsky was out of the crease, but it doesn't matter what I think now or during the game. So, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a fun game to watch in the sense that this was a very chippy game. Boy, a playoff series between Detroit and Florida would be fun. Uh, but it was it, there was a, another refing problem in this game. And it was pretty obvious. It wasn't as it wasn't like the like I said. This was the the refing problems that hurt Detroit were two different forms. And the Islanders game, they just didn't fucking call anything for Detroit. In this game, every time because Florida started every little scrum there was in this game, like they always do. The difference is whenever there was a scrum, they would take two players. There was. Um, like it was, it was almost to the point where I think there was almost more four on four hockey than there was five on five. Um, every time there was a scrum, there would be two players coming out of it, and one from Florida, one from Detroit. They would never take into account that Florida started everything. Um, and then there was one where, for whatever, like there was a scrum that Florida started. I think uh, Strott went after Kachuk actually because Kachuk had been you know, cheap shotting and pussyfooting it around all day. But then Detroit not only got a, like, Schrott not only got a five-minute for fighting, but then Detroit also got another two-minute for unsportsmanlike conduct, I think. And then not only that, like, it was, it like, Detroit got three ten-minute misconducts in this game. Larkin got the first one. Wal- no, Woman got the first one. Because I can't remember who it was, but he got slashed. Like, Woman got slashed and then interfered with and then responded to it. And he got the boot for it. And then uh, the same scrum that Schrock got sent to the penalty box, that Schrock got a penalty for, and then Detroit got the extra minor. Uh, Larkin got a 10-minute misconduct from that, I believe is when it was. And then two minutes in, Fabry got a 10-minute misconduct. And I'm just, it, it was stunning. Like, Florida didn't get any, didn't get a game misconduct whatsoever, even though they started everything. And, like, it's almost, it literally, like, I've seen a lot of people talk about this, like the Steve Dangle podcast, they talked about this for a while, in that Florida is just, like, um, what's his name, who runs the Department of Player Safety? Can't remember his name for the life of me, all right, life of me now. But he is apparently a Florida Panthers fan, uh, of some sort, and uh, George Soros, I believe it was. He is either a Florida Panthers fan, or he played for the Panthers when he played. I don't remember, uh, but it, it he whenever it came to uh, a Panthers player having a finable or suspendable offense, nothing was done. And it's starting to become more and more apparent that there does seem to be a bias for Florida in the league. Um, and I don't know, like. That could just be my uh, opposing team brain kicking in and trying to find things to, you know, justify the loss or make excuses for my team losing and stuff like that. But, like, legitimately, 
Florida doesn't seem to get these same punishments as the rest of the league. Like, they are the most uh, shit-kicking, uh, shits, they're the most shit-starting, piss-you-off, and, you know, just be big, just be massive rat team, and nothing ever happens to them. But when your team goes after them for stand, goes and stands up to them and does the same stuff, they get punished for it. And it's, it is so incredible that this, that like, like, I think people are starting to catch on and it's like, obviously the league's not going to do anything about it because, you know, Gary Bettman and the rest of the league's just going to be like, no, our refs will never, our, our refs are always impartial. They will never, and the league is impartial. No one in the high up in the league that has any power will root or favor for favor one team. When we all know that's a blatant fucking lie. We've been seeing it for years and years and years. Like, as far as Toronto goes, the cap doesn't exist with them. Uh, as far as Florida goes this year, they can't get in trouble for anything. Like, it's such a madhouse in the NHL, and it is such an embarrassment when you let your referees get away with doing shit like this. Like the Islanders game, like the Panthers game. When you let your referees get away with just one-siding and or game management managing the shit out of an entire game, it's an embarrassment to your league. Like you guys, a lot of people look at NFL refs and are like, those are some bad refs. And don't get me wrong, NFL refs are probably the worst refs out of all sports. But NHL refs are not far behind. And it's so blatantly out. Like we've seen it with, what is it, Tim Peel. Or Tim Poole. Tim Poole, I believe. I can't remember his fucking name. But he... Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Tim Peel. we seen it with him where he was caught on mic saying that he was looking for a reason to call, I believe it was Toronto, a penalty for Toronto. So it is blatantly obvious that teams go in... The referees go into games with an idea and a mindset against or for one team. And it's never going to be even. Like, unless you're genuinely able to look at the game unbiasedly, it, you're never going to have a non-biased game. Because referees are always going to have a, pre-con- a preconceived notion in their mind, this team is going to do this thing, but we can't do this thing to this team for this, this reason. And it's it's incredible, man. It's it's, it's incredible that the NHL doesn't think we see this stuff or that the NHL just thinks we're too dumb to, you know, call it out or anything. And it's, it like, I don't, it, like I said, it's just wild to me, man. I don't have any more words for it. It's wild that the NHL keeps allowing their referees to do this stuff without any repercussions. And I'm sure that they get, like, a stern talking to and a finger wag behind closed doors. But, like, this, this league protects their referees so much more than their own players and coaches. Like, there's legitimately a penalty for abuse of an official. And that could be interpreted by each referee different, like every other rule in the NHL. But if you just backtalk a referee or say or chirp a referee and because they didn't make a call or something like that, you can get tossed from a game. Um, you can get fined. You can get a five-minute major. You can get a penalty. For, you can, like it's just normal penalty for it. You can get a shit ton. Uh, there are so many, much more 
repercussions of like if a coach calls out a referee in an interview, they get fined like twenty five thousand dollars. But when a referee does such a bad job, does a horrible, horrendous, shitty job as the actual on ice referee, they don't get shit. At least not publicly. So it's I don't understand it. And maybe that might just be because I wasn't, I'm not a referee, and I've never been a referee, nor probably will I ever be a referee. But, like, it's, I don't get, like, if you're going to be a referee in the NHL, you gotta have some thick skin. Because going into, being a referee in any game, you're going to get boos. You are going to make calls that piss people off. So if you can't go into a so if you go into a professional sports league and be a referee, you need to have thick skin because you have thin because if you have thin skin, then you get this pussy shit where you can penalize a player for calling out your stupid call. Like remember Ghost of Spare, he got a penalty uh, during I can't remember what the game was, but he got a I think it was a tripping penalty. And he mimicked, uh, he mimicked the sign of a dive, and the referees gave him another penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct because he called out their shitty call. So I'm, I don't know. That's my referee rant. I I can't go into it more, or else it's just going to be another twenty minutes of me talking about how shitty NHL refereeing is. So instead, we're going to get into uh, why like Florida looks good. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say it, Florida looks fantastic. They look like a team who is destined to go directly back to the uh, and go back to the and uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Generally, I do. They look like the team that's going to go to the finals in the East, um, and they are very likely to for uh, reasons like Boston, Vegas, and Vancouver are not looking like themselves whatsoever. Um, they've had a rough go of it as of late. Uh, their last ten, Boston's is three, two, and five. Uh, uh, Vancouver is four, five, and one, and Vegas is three, six, and one in their last ten. And they haven't been pretty losses, more or less, more for the most part either. Uh, like Boston got blown out by New York, who New York is just they're piling it on once again. They're 8-1-1 one, one in their last 10. So there are there are a lot of teams in the East that look like they could 100% win the Stanley Cup. Um, Boston's looking like another first-round exit. Toronto's looking like a potential second-round exit. Uh, Carolina's looking like they're going to go to the conference finals and get bounced in a sweep again. Uh, who else? Tampa Bay... They're five four and one in their last ten, so they're looking. Oh, they're not looking like a Tampa Bay juggernaut. Um, Philadelphia seems to be fading a bit. Uh, they're five four and one in their last ten. So, but yeah, Boston, Vegas, and Vancouver are not looking like the teams that they once were. Uh, obviously, Vegas is uh, Vegas and Boston all started off incredibly hot. Um, but it looks like the Stanley Cup hangover for Vegas just kicked in and they're starting to feel it. Feel what happens when you don't have that long off season 
to uh, to do any to rest and recover. Um, and teams are taking advantage of it. Toronto is now uh, six points back of second place in the uh, of the Bruins, and LA is one point behind Vegas. That third place spot is there for the taking for uh, LA and Nashville to be uh, precise. Uh, who else isn't performing like themselves? Vancouver, like I said, they're still almost ten points ahead of Edmonton, but Edmonton's on a four-game win streak. They're looking dangerous as well. They're looking like they could make it to the conference finals and even potentially make it to the Stanley Cup finals. Because as far as the West goes, a lot of those teams they're they're starting to quietly fade a bit uh, into more of a re- normal. Record. Um, Winnipeg's picked up some heat. They're eight and two in their last ten. Dallas has kind of been iffy. They're four three and three. Uh, Colorado is five four and one. Uh, like I said, Edmonton six three and one. L.A. seven three and zero. Oh. They're starting to pick back up. Nashville's eight two and zero. Oh. Uh, Calgary is pretty much out of the like almost all of the West has been decided almost at this point. I guess if you want to make uh, an effort. In a stretch, Calgary has a potential to boot Nashville out. The only difference is Nashville's won eight in a row. Calgary's won five in a row. But so Nashville keeps keep they're keeping that gap alive. So yeah, the West is anybody's game, um, and it's it's looking more and more like the next Stanley Cup champion might come out of the East. Like the last two years, obviously the the Stanley Cup champions were Colorado. And uh, and Vegas, and a lot of people as the season went on were looking at the West and being like, the West might fuck around and have three Stanley Cup champions in a row, because people were looking at Winnipeg early on and saying like that team is good, Hellebuck is dominating, uh, and then people were looking at Dallas like that team is also really good. They've got a lot of good scoring on that team, and their defense is underrated in my opinion. Uh, Colorado is looking like Colorado of last year again. They're very top-heavy with top-heavy defense. Like, they're top-heavy on the front and back end. And so they're looking like they, they're they probably going to be a first, if not second-round bounce. Um, Edmonton is looking like a real threat. Vegas, while their record may not show it, also still looks like a threat. They're still Vegas. Um... LA, I don't think it's too much of a threat. Nashville, they're not a team I would necessarily want to play in the first round if I was in the West, but I don't think they're going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs. So, yeah, it's uh, the playoff picture looks incredibly fun going into the stretch. Uh, as it stands right now, Detroit currently still holds the first wild card spot over Tampa Bay. They both have seventy two points. <laughs> They're one point ahead of the Flyers and uh, eight points ahead of the Islanders. So Detroit's next game is going to be against the Colorado Avalanche. Obviously, Detroit beat Colorado in overtime the last time they played at home. But we're going; they're going to Colorado in this West Coast swing. Uh, they have this... Yeah, they've got their upcoming West Coast swing. So their next couple of games are going to be against... Colorado on Wednesday, then Arizona on Friday, 
Vegas on Saturday, and then they come back to the East and play Buffalo in Buffalo, and then they come home for a two-game homestand against Arizona and Buffalo. Then they play Pittsburgh, uh, Columbus at home, Pittsburgh away, Columbus at home, the Islanders at home again. Then they go back on the road against Nashville, Washington, Carolina, and Florida. That is their march. So realistically, Detroit should win. Realistically, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine of these games. So it's there's. I mean, I've still got hope. Obviously, they're they've got a nice good point cushion uh, between them and the Islanders and Caps and Devils. Um, So, yeah, I'm interested to see how the stretch is going to go. My dad was, I was talking to my dad yesterday after the game and they were like, he made a good point. It was around this time last year, uh, a little bit earlier though, where Detroit had two poorly played games against uh, Ottawa and then but the game before that they played incredible but still lost obviously that didn't happen they played incredible against Washington blew them out and then they played two meh to bad games but yeah it's uh like I said it's gonna be fun to watch I haven't had this much fun going into the playoffs in the last set last this last part of the season in a long time because Detroit's never been a factor up until this point of the season so yeah, that is uh, the Red Wings' current look at the playoffs and their week in review. Overall, a meh week for them. Um, it's obviously going on a two-game losing streak that this point in the year is not ideal, but it is, you know, it's it inevitably was going to happen. So, yeah, um... Next, we're going to get into a topic that was brought up at the Wingmill Podcast event last night from by Ken Daniels, actually. And he made a bit of a hot take saying that Detroit might go after a goaltender such as Markstrom. And there was an audible gasp from the entire crowd, including uh, the Wingmill Podcast guys, in that a lot of people don't think that Detroit should be in on a goalie this year. And I'm a, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me because on one hand, well, yeah, Lyon's been playing out of his mind fantastic. But on the other hand, and, you know, Reimer's been a suitable backup. But on the other hand, do you, do you try to make a run to the playoffs or is the goal just to get to the playoffs? And personally, I think the goal this year was to just make the playoffs and maybe make some noise. Fuck around, sorry, I yawned. Fuck around and maybe make the second round. So I don't think Detroit will be in on Markstrom uh, unless Eisenman, for whatever reason, truly believes that they can make some noise in the season. Uh, But the downside is Markstrom is going to come at A, a pretty decent-sized cost, and B, he's going to have to come with an extension. And you got to think that doing that, he's going to... Just based off of salary alone, they're going to look at him and be like, okay, we want this guy in that most of the time. And so what does that do to the Lion? Personally, I don't think it affects Lion nearly as much as people think it does. But at the same time, 
Lion has been the guy. Lion is the guy who recovered your season. Like after Lion came in in the Sweden game and started winning the net more and more from Reimer and Huso, um, and you know then obviously he and Huso got injured and they had that abysmal December with Reimer being net most of the time. Once Lion came back, boom, things like it was a switch flipped and the Red Wings got better. They were more comfortable playing in front of Lion because they know they knew that if they needed to get a save, Lion was going to more than likely make that save. Um, so they started playing more confidently in front of him, more sound defensively in front of him, and it was just uh, an entirely flipped switch that was all centered around Alex Lyon taking the net. So I don't think you can do that to Alex Lyon. Like I said, I don't think it affects him too much, but he is definitely a guy that has er- that should have earned the trust and respect of this of the team's of team management. He's given them no reason not to. So that's my thoughts on it. I don't think they're in on a goalie this year. Especially because me personally, I think the goal was just to make it to the playoffs, not go on a deep run. So having Reimer as your backup, potentially Huso, uh, but we don't know if Huso is going to be back in for the season because if it's the same timeline as it was his last injury, then there's a very good chance that he's not in for the rest of the season. So I don't think there's a big deal there. Um, I don't think there's any reason to bring in another goaltender. I think you ride Lion into the playoffs and switch him out with Reimer as need be. So that is the Red Wings uh, news for this episode. Um, We're going to now get into our prospect report, which this year, this year, this week is going to be on Red Savage between Red Savage and Shy Boyum, uh, Boyum, Boyum. I can't pronounce his name properly for the fucking life of me, but it was a tie between him and I ultimately picked Red Savage myself uh, just because I wanted to talk about him for a while. So getting into it, Red Savage, he was drafted in 2001 in the fourth round. Um, he's 20 years old, 5'11", and he's center. He has good hands, a fanta- a really good, mechanically good wrist shot, um, and is known to be able to find open space in uh, mid-range, like medium danger chances, and is known to seek out high danger chances, uh, seek and or hunt out, or yeah, hunt out would probably be a better word, uh, high danger chances. He is definitely a guy who likes to get in, get dirty, get the dirty goals, or get into the slot or the bumper or the uh, side of the net and get those high-danger chances and opportunities there. Um, he's also known as a really good playmaker. He's got... Uh, in, he's incredible in transition. He, uh, he's he got... He, he's very deceptive. He's almost like Patrick Kane deceptive in... Not like to that skill level, obviously, but he is almost a Patrick Kane light deceptive in that nobody knows what he's going to do with the puck in transition. And by the time he makes it, it's too late. You've read him wrong. And he's made an incredible pass or he's made a good play into the zone. So he's a guy I really want Detroit to uh, sign and bring in uh, after this year with likely Trey Augustine. uh, Because they both play for Michigan State right now. 
Um, he did play for Miami University in Ohio uh, his last two years, where in 21-2022 he had six goals, ten assists for 16 points. Uh, 22-23 he had seven goals, seven assists for 14 points in 32 games. This season he's really kind of popping off, though. Ten goals, 16 assists, 26 points in 34 games. And he is just a good player. He's a guy that I think could definitely be a potential top six guy, but at lowest, I think he'll be a middle six guy. And that's really good for a fourth round pick, obviously. Um, So yeah, I've been really excited about this guy for a while. And even just his name, he's got to be a good player, right? Uh, So... Yeah, Red Savage, definitely a guy to keep your eye on in the off-seasons for a potential contract with Detroit. Um, And even if he does get this contract, he'll likely play another year in the NCAA before moving to the AHL and or the NHL. But, yeah, it is, he is looking good, He especially for a fourth-rounder. He's, like I said, definitely something. He is someone that I hope the Red Wings uh, get around to signing because he could be really good for Detroit. Um, He has no problem going behind the net, digging for pucks. Like, he is a gritty player who has really good offensive uh, playmaking upsides. So, that's really all I have on Redmond Savage. Uh, He hasn't been play Like, his recorded uh, playing career is you know, pretty much that of most prospects. But the useful playing history, there isn't much. Um, you know, I only really go back until the, to like the farthest, their U18 teams, where he, you know, he played for the U.S. National, uh, US National NTDP team. Uh, and in 46 games, he had 18 assists, 20, he had 18 goals, 24 assists, 42 points in 46 games. So he is good. That's all I can say is that he's good. And that's all I'm going to say is that he's good. Um, because that's all I can say about him. So that is actually all the Red Wings news that we have for this episode. Because now we're going to get into some Detroit Lions news. It's been a hot minute since we've had some actual legitimate news. But um, one of the biggest things that came out is that Amon Ross St. Brown is in talk contract talks with the Detroit Red Wings. Detroit Red Wings? Yeah, he's going to play hockey now. Uh, He is in talks with the Lions, and uh, they are working on an extension. The rumor is that the extension is to be in the realm of $26-28 million uh, per year, which is fair for Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, He is your most, he's your highest producing uh, wide receiver. He is, he's gotten you a lot of points, and he's definitely a guy that you want to keep on your team long term. So you throw the bag at him if need be. Um, he was a one of the biggest reasons that Detroit got as far as they did in the playoffs. And he, as far as Detroit did in the regular season too. So Amon Ross St. Brown looking like he's going to stay and it's going to be within the realm of $26-28 million per year, which I think is fair. Uh, next, the Lions had had won have won the uh, best draft award for twenty twenty for the twenty twenty three draft. Uh, this was voted on by the NFL scouts, and the twenty twenty three draft. Yeah, it was a big one for Detroit. Uh, if you guys don't remember, 
Uh, at 12th overall, they got Jameer Gibbs. Uh, he had 238 touches, 1,261 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Uh, number 18th overall was Jack Campbell. He started off the season pretty rough, but he got into it later on in the season. He had 95 tackles and two sacks. Uh, 34th overall was Sam Laporta, who was argue, who is you know uh, ar- who battled Gibbs all year for the uh, All Star. Uh, Lions All-Star rookie. Uh, he had 86 catches, 889 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Brian Branch also had a decent season. He was drafted 45th overall, 74 tackles, three interceptions, and one sack. Hendon Hooker, the uh, the quarterback that they drafted, has not yet played. Uh, we're going to get into him more in another episode. He is looking, from all accounts, he the people everyone's uncertain of where he's going to be uh, in the next year or two and whether or not he'll be a good replacement for Goff. Um, after that, uh, Broderick Martin was drafted 96th overall. He played three games and had three tackles. Colby Soresdale, uh, number he was drafted 152nd overall. Well, he had three starts. And uh, Anthony Green ha- had one catch, two yards. He was the 219th overall pick. So obviously once you got get into like the 90 pluses, those guys aren't going to be everyday starters. They're not going to be... They're going to be guys that you bring in for injuries, essentially. So, yeah, that that that, that was nice to see because a lot of people criticized a lot of Detroit's picks in the 2023 draft. People criticized the Gibbs pick. People definitely criticized the Campbell pick. I think even people criticized the Laporta pick. Like, it was, it was a masterclass in... Uh, drafting, like, you know, obviously I'm a hockey guy, uh, I'm a first and foremost hockey guy, so in my eyes, this is a classic Steve Eiserman draft job, um, Brad Holmes definitely, what it looks like Brad Holmes took inspiration from Steve Eiserman and went for not incredible reaches, but minor reaches, and guys who, you know, a lot of people thought would go a bit later, but you know he went for them then at when he at the first chance he could and they ended up working out so that's that is definitely good to see uh, also there was a uh, NFL voice the fan survey voice of the fan survey that happened on uh like late February early March and Detroit was named the number 1 NFL team in overall game day satisfaction uh, they had an overall satisfaction game day satisfaction score of 8.6, which is the second highest season average from any team in uh, the Voice of Fans uh, survey history. Uh, they were voted second overall in season ticket member satisfaction. Uh, they were first, so yeah, they came first in the league for game day satisfaction and crowd energy level, which is fantastic and not unexpected at all. And then top five in the league for audio prompts and music, sound system, game day staff, overall game entertainment, Video board content, mobile ticketing, departure security, uh, no before you go communication, and arrival. So obviously a lot of that stuff is more like technical and whatnot, but it is good to know that Detroit's, that the Lions and Ford Field vibes are very high and will likely continue to be high for a very long time. Um, And that stems, that obviously, that vibe extends to the Red Wings and it'll turn it'll hopefully extend to the Tigers if they do good and maybe some point down the line when I'm married with children who are 18 years old the Pistons could have that vibe 
Uh, so, you know, Detroit sports are just in a really good place right now, thanks to two teams. Uh, hopefully, three teams with the Lion, with the Tiger season starting up here. Hopefully, they can do better uh, than the last season. The Lions really, uh, they will really be helped by the fact that they are going to once again probably be in the weakest division out of every divi- out of the entire league. So hopefully, they can pull something out there. But regardless, vibes are still pretty high in Detroit, and then in the Red Wings sphere. A lot of people were kind of freaking out about the Florida loss, but I'm not going to freak out about it too much. Uh, This team has proved that the Red Wings have proved that they can come back better and stronger. They've got three days to rest. Or three days. Yeah, three days because Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, they've got three days to rest. Oh, no, they got four days to rest. I can't do math right now. They've got time to rest, and normally they come out pretty hot when they're resting, and they're going to need to come out hot against Colorado, and then they're going to have to keep try to keep that energy up against Arizona and Vegas. So, yeah, that's uh, that's it for me today, you guys. I hope you guys did enjoy this episode of the Red, Orange, and Blue podcast. You can follow the podcast at Pod. And then you can follow me at the underscore Maxinadian. That is my account for the, where you can see the dumb shit I tweet on a daily basis. And the podcast Twitter is just for updates on the podcast, as well as polls for a prospect profile and some other things. So thank you once again. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Red, Orange, and Blue podcast. I am your host, as always, the Maxinadian, and I will talk to you guys later. Adios. Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Get me a shrink